especially then y'all throw the B in there on the, you know, so I knew I was going to do that. Like, I, like in my head, I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. And, you know, there you go. Here we are. So, um, yeah, uh, like I said uh, last week, if you were here, um, my, I, I wish my family would have got to come with me, but um, they're, they're back at our church. And we're hoping a lady's going to come, and we're trying to minister to her. And so we didn't want her to be alone this morning if she does show up. And uh, so hopefully she has, and she is worshiping with my wife this morning. But um, we have two daughters, and they're, they are quite the rambunctious ones. We actually had their birthday party yesterday. So their birthday is in both of them. My youngest is December 13th. My oldest is December 21st. That's their birthdays. Uh, but we do it in November because... December for a pastor is just crazy. It's like there's always something to do with the church. We got all this stuff going on, and so it's just really hard. And people, you don't want to throw a birthday party in December because everybody else is busy with Christmas stuff too. And so we try to do it in November, so we did that yesterday, and uh, we had a blast. My girls, they dressed up as uh, ringmasters for a circus, and it was all circus theme. Uh, if you've seen the movie The Greatest Showman, that was the theme because that's my oldest daughter. That's her. She loves that movie. So we had... We had a good time. Everybody dressed up like circus animals or ringmasters or whatever. I was like some board game, like a like a you throw balls at it and it sticks. You know that game, like where you try to throw it. That that was my costume, and uh, and so uh, yeah, we we like to dress up and stuff at my house. Being that I have girls, man, I just embrace it. I love it. I always thought that I would be a um, I would be a dad of of boys. I was like, that's what I want. I want boys. And then I had girls. I was like, what was I thinking? Girls are the best. So, uh, so now I've totally embraced the, the, the girl dad, uh, lifestyle. So we, we love Disney. We love playing dress up and, uh, I'm trying to learn how to French braid, which is really hard. Like I was, um, trying to figure out, my wife was showing me how to do it. And I was asking, I was like, well, how do you hold that one with your fingers? Like you're holding two of the strands of hair in between and they're not mixing together. And I was like, every time I hold two, they just go to, and they make one. And she was like, I don't know. It's just like feel. And I was like, well, that's not a very good teaching technique. Tell me you just feel it. I was like, I don't know how to feel that. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I'm still learning. I can, I can just normal braid, but French braiding right now is, man, it's a task. And so means that my daughter loves Elsa. Uh, she wants the French braid all the way back down, you know. So it's like, Elsa braid, Dad. I'm like, yeah, well, you're going to have to holler at Mama for that one. Um, so uh, so as I was praying this week, I wanted God to impress on my heart to stay in Acts with you guys. But um, as I was praying about this, I was like, what? There was two different things. It was um, what, uh, my, I'm currently, I'll be finished in uh, March or May, depending on how things go, Lord willing. But with my Masters of Divinity, and it's my Masters of Divinity is in biblical leadership. Um, and it's not because I think that I'm going to be some great leader or anything. It's, uh, it's just, it intrigues me. When I think about people and how God works and He leads us, like that whole idea of biblical leadership has been uh, something that has intrigued me. And I've, I've had the, um, I've been blessed to be around it, whether it was in the military or in the church, been around really strong leaders. And so as I looked at them and saw principles, I wanted to see that in Scripture and see how those principles, how they actually function in Scripture. And so um, God brought these two things together in this story. And um, so I want to share with you uh, one of the things and why, why this is called in, in Body the Vision. And, and I thought it was very, uh, maybe very timely for you all 
um, in the sense that I know you have a new pastor coming in like February. Am I right there? Is that is that January? So he's coming in January. So even closer, even closer. And um, this is what I, I I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? If I was coming to a church in January, what's the message that I would want some guy who's just filling in to preach to my church that I'm coming into? And this is the thing. I got to Liberty, and I was like, you guys don't ever have to see me again. So here you go. So here you go, all right? I love you. This is with, this is with love and as much grace as I can. But also, stick your feet out, because I'm going to try to step on your toes a little bit today. And not, not to be mean, not to be anything, but because I believe that God has great days ahead for you. But if you do not embrace what I'm going to speak today, not because it's from me, but because it's from the Word of God, you will not walk in it. You will not walk in it. You'll be like the children of Israel who never got to experience the promised land. They wandered. They wandered because of disobedience. And so what does it look like to follow leadership? What does it look like to embody the vision? That's what we're going to talk about this way. And I want to, I want to say this. The greatest way... As, as we're in Thanksgiving time and being gratitude, the greatest way to show gratitude to God about what He's done in the past is to embrace and embody the future that He has, which is vision. Vision is this picture of the future of what it could be. And to embody that is begin to implement the things and the processes and the strategies in order to bring about that future that God has laid on the leadership's heart. So I don't know what that vision is for this church, only Jim, is that his name? Jim and Stephanie, I heard you say? Height, correct? Height, okay. So they know the vision. They're going to bring that here, and so we want to embody that vision as a church, and that's we want to see that come to fruition. So I'm going to give us a couple of principles through the story of Acts chapter 9. So Acts chapter 9 should be a very familiar passage to us. Um, You've most likely heard the conversion of Paul. It's like one of the grand stories of the New Testament, you know, this, this massive change of this guy. And so I want to story it for you like I did last week, um, and then I'll talk about some principles. So in chapter 9, what we see is this guy named Saul. He, his name is eventually, he begins to go by Paul. But um, So Saul is the guy, if you were here last week, we talked about Stephen's sermon, and then at the end, of his message, he gets, he gets stoned. We didn't really talk about that, but he's stoned. And, and the Bible says that um, there was this guy there at the stoning of Stephen, and he was holding the jacket so the guys could like really rear back and just sling some rocks, okay? And that guy's name was Saul. And then we have this introduction of Saul and his, his conversion. And so in chapter 9, what we see is Saul is breathing threats against the followers of Jesus, the followers of the way. And so he's, he's been ravaging the church there in Jerusalem, and, and in, so, in so doing, the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but uh, those who are not apostles, they begin to scatter, and what happens, what happens through that is they scatter into uh, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and that should take you all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says you're going to go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So you're, you're seeing the fruition of all of this, what God has proclaimed in Acts chapter 1. You're, you're beginning to see it. Now you have this guy named Saul. And so he's like, all right, uh, 
I've been breathing threats against Jerusalem and the church here, these followers of the way. I want to now go north all the way up through, through Galilee to this place called Damascus, which is a pretty long ways. So he gets a letter from the leaders there in Jerusalem, and he's going to go persecute the church in Damascus. And he's, he's on his way to Damascus when, when a bright light from heaven shines down and a voice speaks out. And, and listen, what, what happens when a bright light from heaven and the voice of God speaks is everyone falls on their face. And so that's exactly what happens. Saul and all of the guys who are with him, who have been tasked to go with him to provide support, these are soldiers most likely, they're with, uh, they're with Saul, and boom, they, the light comes on and they fall flat, flat on their face. And these other guys who are with Saul, they hear a voice, but they can't dis- discern what the voice says. But Paul hears, hears the voice and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul wisely, wisely speaks and he says, um, Lord, who are you? Who are you? And this is when the name of Jesus enters, and Jesus says, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. And this begins a transition for Paul where his life totally changes, totally changes. And so um, Paul's, oh man, he's, he's distraught, obviously, and, 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 and the voice says, I, I want you to go into Damascus and, and wait there and fast and pray, and I will, you, will, you will be told what to do once you get there. And so so the light goes away and the voice disappears and the guys stand up and they're, they're all like, oh, what just happened, man? Like, I, what was that noise? And Paul's like, I, I, can you imagine just being Paul trying to explain that? Like, you, you didn't hear the voice? You didn't, you didn't hear Jesus? This guy, Jesus, talking. No, 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 we're going to persecute Jesus and the followers of that guy. Like, and so you, know, you can just imagine what's happening. And Paul's like, okay, all right, maybe I'm just going to sit here with this. I'm going to sit here with what just happened. I'm going to go to Damascus because that's what the voice told me to do. And I'm going to wait there and I'm going to know and I'm going to be told what to do. And so that's what happens. The guys pick him up and, and Paul's blind at this point. Like so, there's something like scales over his eyes, and he can't see anything. So they have to help him the rest of the way to Damascus. And so Paul gets into Damascus, and he's hanging out at this guy's house, and he's he's fasting and he's praying. And while that's happening, there's this other guy in Damascus named Ananias, and Ananias is praying as well because he's a faithful man of God. He's 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 a follower of the way. And we, how did he get there? Well. He probably left Jerusalem earlier when Paul was persecuting, and now he's found himself in Damascus, and he's now praying about what God would do in, in his life in Damascus. He's probably preaching the word and everything like that. And so he's in prayer, and then God shows up to Ananias and says, Hey, 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 I need you to go down this street called Straight. There's this guy that's down there, and his name is, his name is Saul. You may have heard of him. You know, and uh, and and then I was like, "Whoa, no, 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 no! That's the dude I left Jerusalem because of. Like, I, I ain't going to know Saul. I've heard that he was on his way to Damascus, and I heard why he was coming here is because he's trying to drag us out, throw us in jail. No, 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 no. God, I know, I get it. I get, I get your God, and I'm listening, but I don't think you're listening to your own words, God. Like, what are you doing? And 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 then this shift comes. And Ananias receives a vision of what Paul's life is going to look like. And it says, God says to him, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for me, and he's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And I said, oh, man. So you got to understand in Jerusalem and, and Israelites, this is a huge shift of what, what, it, what they think. Like they are, one of the things that they had become was so nationalistic that God was the God of Israel, and he wasn't the God of everybody else. But if you remember last week, I talked about this verse in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, that everything, everything in Scripture always roots back to this one verse. 12, chapter 12, verse, verse 2, it says, you're a, I'm going to bless you. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing to the nations. 
through you, I'm going to bless all of the world. And so Israel had lost sight of that. So when, when Ananias is here and he hears this, he's like, no, 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 God's, God's for the Israelites. And now he's raising up this guy named Saul who's going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to all the Gentiles. And so Ananias is like, okay, if that's, okay. So he goes, he goes um, to the street called Straight and he meets Saul and uh, he prays over Saul. And as he prays for Saul, the, the, the scales fall off of Saul's eyes and he, he sees truly who Jesus is. He sees tr- truly who Jesus is and he is immediately baptized. He's immediately baptized. And then it says that he stands up immediately and goes and starts preaching and teaching about Jesus in the synagogue in Damascus. And they're like, whoa, 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 you're the guy here to kill us. Why are you teaching about Jesus? And he's like, listen, listen, let me explain to you the Old Testament. And listen, as we learn later about Saul, he was massively trained in the Old Testament. Like he knew, knew he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and the whole deal, you know. He's like, I studied under Gamaliel, okay. The, the guy, the guy, I was with the guy, you know. And so um, this, is, this is Saul. And so he begins to articulate how the whole Old Testament leads up to this person of Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah. He's the manifestation of everything that the Old Testament prophets, law, and, 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 the, and the Proverbs and everything taught about. Boom, this is Jesus. And then what happens as the story we know goes on? These guys get all upset with Paul. Saul. He's still Saul at this point. Saul. And so they run him out. And so Saul's actually lowered out of a ba- in a basket out of the city walls in Damascus so, because they're coming after him to kill him. And so Saul, he, he, he gets out of the basket, you know, and I, this is just weird. I'm trying to figure out that basket. Anybody ever thought about that one? Like, how big was this basket, and how small was Saul? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big guy of huge stature or anything, but I don't know many baskets that I would be willing to get in that would be lowered out out of a wall. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. But anyway, Saul had faith, and he does that, so then he returns to this place called Jerusalem, right? And he leaves Damascus, and he goes to Jerusalem, and there um, he shows up, and he goes to the disciples. And the disciples are like, I know who you are. You left here to go persecute Christians in Damascus, and now you're back, and you're one of us. You're one of us. No, 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 no. But then this man stands up, and his name's Barnabas. And this is the verse I want to read to you. Barnabas in chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over there. Verse twenty-seven, and it says. Actually, I'll read 26 and 27 just to help you get the final ending of that story. And when he had come, meaning Saul, to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. <laughs> and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, as we dive into some of the principles about following and embodying the vision that you were given, and we look at this guy named Barnabas and this guy named Ananias, Lord, I pray that these principles begin to instill in our hearts as we move forward and we understand that you have a calling and you have a vision for what this church is going to be. And Lord, it's going to be part of this is following and trusting you and embodying the vision. So Lord, help us and teach us from your word in jesus name we pray amen amen so i want us to look at these two guys first we're going to look at barnabas and um 
Barnabas is a guy who steps in. He steps in when, when Paul comes back. And remember, this was Paul who's received this vision. Now, in Damascus, he re- received this vision about what he was going to be doing. He was going to be the one who would take the gospel to the Gentiles. He was going to suffer a lot for God. But, and he knew that. He was ready to embrace it. And so he boldly goes back to the disciples. And they're like, no, 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 they're afraid. They're afraid. But Barnabas stands up. Barnabas stands up and he's willing to to embody two principles, energy and positivity. Energy and positivity. Now I'm going to explain what those two mean, okay? Um, But first, we have to understand that when vision comes, vision brings change always. Vision, as I said, is a picture of what could be in the future. And so in order to get there, there's there's going to be change in the present. And as many of you know, anytime change is present, fear is present. Fear is present. And this is exactly what's present here with these disciples. They're, they're afraid. Paul's bringing change. His vision is ultimately is bringing massive change, ultimately. But just the presence of Paul and his change is also fearful. His vision is in... Chapter 9, verse 15. And it says this, Go, for he has chosen, he being, uh, um, he, he being Paul, this is God speaking to Ananias, says, He has chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So this is Paul's vision, and it is a change in everything in the trajectory of all of what these disciples understand. The gospel has yet went to the Gentiles. And so they're not even picturing this yet. It's a picture of what's going to be. And that's what Saul's ushering in here. And so immediately fear comes comes upon them. Change breeds fear and opposition. Fear. I'm going to give you an analogy. Um, There's this great poet that I love. He's also a rapper. I call him a poet just for uh, better purposes. But um, he, um, he talks about his, his father, and his father was a Vietnam vet. And his father tells a story of how most men died in Vietnam. And he said, most men died in Vietnam because they sit still. He said, and the reason they sit still was because the bombs that had previously went off froze them or the bombs that had not yet gone off froze them. And so many times we let what happened in the past or what we think may happen in the future stop us from movement. It's fear. It traps us. It paralyzes us. Fear is paralytic. It paralyzes us. And this is exactly what was going on with these Jews. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not move too quickly. Let's, let's just put the brakes on. Let's stay right here. This is comfortable. This is, this is okay. And Paul is bringing in a change that, man, ultimately every one of us, if we're not a Jew, needs to be thankful for because we're all Gentiles. And this man has a vision and he's ready to take it on, but he understands and knows. And what we see from this story is fear can come in. So as we think about embracing a vision, understand change is coming and understand that fear will be in our hearts about some of that change. It will strike us with fear. Because it's different. 
But don't let the bombs that have went off in the past or what you think may go off in the future keep you from what God's destiny is and what God's vision is for this church. Also, fear and opposition. So the Hellenists, so you see the, the disciples, the Jews, who are people who should be with Paul, but then you have these Hellenists who are they're, they're, they're Greek Jews, and, and they oppose for a whole different reason, for a whole different reason. And it's because they're uninformed. And I was, I was speaking this week with um, a, a visionary leader that I, I, I absolutely admire. And so I was talking to him about this. And, and he, he, he was talking to me and he said, he said, this is what I've understood about, he, he um, revitalized a church that, uh, through our church. We took over a church. And long story short, five and a half years ago, he took over this church as the lead pastor and along with our team and staff, we helped revitalize that church, took 60 members. They had 60 members there. We took 60 out of our church and basically just set them as missionaries in this church. So they started in the first Sunday, 120. Uh, five years later, they now run 450. They're looking to build a building. God's doing a great work, and he's a visionary leader uh, among them. And so I was talking to him, and he was like, I was like, what's your greatest opposition that you face? And he was like, the greatest opposition that I've faced is uninformed or ignorance. And not ignorance and stupidity, talking about just not knowing what the actual vision is and what's being communicated. People from the outside look in and they just, they don't, they're not actually aware of the vision. And the other thing is misinformation. Like people pass around misinformation about the vision. And this is true for the Hellenists. Like these guys, they, they didn't understand. They were misinformed about who the Messiah would be, just like the disciples were. It was misinformation. It was, it was ignorance just because they didn't understand. It hadn't been revealed to them yet. And so understand, when, when opposition comes as you're chasing after the vision that God has placed on this church through the leader who will come, understand that a lot of times, it's just, it's not, they're not mean people. They're just misinformed. And he was like, and this pastor I was talking to, he was like, man, it's, the goal is to dra- get people around you who are informed, who can communicate that and inform people who are uninformed. So when you face opposition, and you're trying to walk alongside the visionary leader who God's called in your life, understand, don't come at opposition with opposition. Come at opposition with information. Hey, this is what we're actually trying to accomplish. This is what God's trying to do. And this is the best way. And this is exactly what Barnabas does, right? He's like, hey, this is who this guy Paul is, and this is what he's all about. Let me stand, let me stand in the gap for him. Let me stand in the gap for him. So I said, change comes and this is why it's going to be tough. It's tough, but Barnabas, he, he shows two things, energy and positivity. Energy doesn't procrastinate. It doesn't, he doesn't take Paul aside and be like, hey, let's slow down. Let's, let's meet with this one disciple. We'll talk to him and then we'll meet with this other disciple. And we'll talk to him. Barnabas stands up in front of all the disciples and says, no, 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 no. Listen, this guy, this guy, I know his story. I've heard his story. I know what his vision is. God has shown him a vision of what's going to come. And Barnabas, we don't know how, what he goes into and all the information they go into. It's pretty quick. But what we do know is that Barnabas stands and he doesn't procrastinate. He stands up, shows energy, and pours energy into Paul. Instead of sucking energy from him and saying, shh, stop, get down, hey, let's do this around here and go this way and go this way. He pours energy into Paul, the vision the God, that God had given Paul. He pours energy into him. This is the thing. 
Don't put energy into criticism. That's easy. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Put energy into the vision, but that's costly. Because what was Barnabas putting on the line? He was putting on the line of all the disciples' lives. What if Paul wasn't who he really said he was? What if he was coming in trying to, trying to fit, which is what they feared, trying to be incognito and, and, and kill some of the disciples, or at least put them in prison? It was costly for Barnabas to do this. Listen, criticism is easy. Pouring energy into the vision and the person who's bringing the vision, that's costly. It's going to cost you something. Church, are you willing to step into that to see God's vision in this church? Barnabas was, and he, as you know the story, he begins to walk with Paul later in his missionary journeys. The second thing is positivity. It, it's just choosing to think the best. Everybody else, immediately when they hear Paul, they think the worst. But positivity is this attitude that is, it's actually called the doctrine of charity in Scripture. If you was in a seminary class, that's what they would tell you. It's thinking the best of someone. It's not immediately going to the worst. Well, they did this, so I bet they did it because of this, this, and this, all these negative things. Instead, you think of the best, absolute best reason why they would have made that decision, and you choose to believe that first. That's called the doctrine of charity. And it's not this like false positivity either. Like that, that has no, like that's not what I'm talking about. You have this positivity because you're positive in who Christ is. And that Christ can change people. And that Christ is at work. Even in a guy like Saul who went to Damascus to murder and prison Christians. So it's because you're positive in who Christ is that you can have this, this ability to implement the doctrine of charity into your life which believes the best about people. Chuck Swindoll said this, he said, Encouragement is awesome. It can actually change the course of another person's day, week, or life. You think, you think the positivity that Ananias and Barnabas showed Paul changed his life? Let's, let's, not, let's not get it twisted. I know that Jesus changed his life. But God, Jesus also used Paul and Barnabas to keep that on track. So I think we should take those words of Chuck Swindoll and be, be people of positivity. This, what I'm talking about here is people of faith that believes God is at work and trust and is willing to count the cost, as the Bible says. Because to step out in faith and give positivity to, an, to, the, uh, to the vision that God has given the leader is to express faith. Because you're attempting to manifest and bring about something that you can't see. And what's the Bible talk about faith? It's the hope of that thing that's not seen. So energy and positivity. Energy and positivity. Pour that into this leader when he comes. So we have a choice to make. We will either pour energy into criticism and stop the momentum through ne neg negativity, which is to reject the vision from God, or we will pour energy into the vision, creating momentum, momentum through positivity, which is embodying the vision from God. So you want to embody the vision that this pastor is going to bring in, in January? Pour energy and positivity into him and the vision. But remember... It's going to bring change, and that's fearful. It's going to bring opposition because it's about a future that doesn't exist yet. It's going to be easy to be critical. It's going to cost you something. 
but push towards it because it's worth it. It's worth it. Now I want to look at this guy named Ananias and two things that he modeled for us is posture and celebration. Posture and celebration. Okay? Posture. What do I mean by posture? I mean readiness. When I was in the military, um, we had a whole like program called readiness. And it was all about... Um, testing us to see how ready we were to fulfill the mission that we had been given by our commander. How, how prepared are you to fulfill commander's intent? How prepared are you? And this is what I mean by posture. This is what I mean by posture. I, I know, and I'm all for us praying like this. And this shows a sign of humility. And there's a time for this, and we need, to, we need to get on our knees and humble ourselves before the Lord. Amen. Do that. Do not stop that. But I also believe there's another posture of prayer, and it's like this. Now, when I played sports, this was called the athletic position. You look at linebackers in football, right here. You look at, you look at shortstops in baseball, boom, right here. And the reason is, is because they're ready to move. This is the posture that gets you moving the quickest. Do we pray this way? What I mean is, do we pray with an expectation? Or do we just, God, I hope you do something. You know, Lord, do something great. Do something great. But what we see, Ananias, man, he's, he's in his house and he's praying and he has an expectation. And when God, he has an expectation, but when God actually reveals what he's going to do through him, he's like, he's even blown away. He has expectation, but he's even blown away by what God brings in. That's what God does because the Bible says, He said, I, I'm going to do through you more than you can ever think or even imagine to think to ask. And this is exactly, this is, that is exactly how Ananias would define his prayer time that night when God came to him and said, you need to go to Saul. Like, uh, I never would have asked of that. I never, I never would have pictured that. I never would have pictured that. So do you pray with expectation? What does it look like to embody the vision? It looks like prayer with expectation. Prayer that's in the ready position, ready to receive. A posture of like waiting and expecting God, confidence in God that He's going to do something great. Or are we just throwing up these lousy prayers? The next thing is plan with expectation. You want to have a posture, pray with expectation, but also plan with expectation. Plan that God's going to do something great. When you plan with, with that, you have training in mind. And training is always this idea of communicating that you're prepared to do what's coming. You train because you're gonna, there's this thing that you're going to do. So when you plan events, whatever it is, to carry out this vision, plan with expectation. Ingrained training into, this is, this is where story comes in. This is why I think storying the Bible and the narrative parts of Scripture can be one of the greatest tools and training mechanisms for you, not only as a church, but you for your family. You for your family. What are We talk all the time, these kids, they just want to be on social media and they just want to be on this and that and YouTube and all the rest. Listen, you want me to tell you what kids still love to this day and they always will and you will always love it too? Story. That's why millions and billions of dollars pours into Hollywood because they tell stories and they do it well. What if we begin to come, become really, really good storytellers? 
We train ourselves to tell the stories of the Bible and then integrate those principles into people's lives and say, this is how this works. Some actually even are beginning to say that America and Western civilization is moving back to oral cultures. There's such a lack of reading now and all information is communicated through a screen or videos that we're moving back to an oral culture. And in oral culture, story is the most powerful means of communication. It's the most powerful means. So let's plan, let's train and be prepared for where things are going and the vision that God has put in our hearts. The last thing, posture is audacious expression. Audacious expression. What I mean is, think about Ananias. He actually goes to Saul. How many of us would have actually done that? I'm just going to be honest. I don't know that I would have been that guy. I would have been like, I think you got it wrong, God. I'm going to go to the synagogue today. Right? But he just hears what God says. He hears the vision that God has laid out. And he says, let's go. Let's go. Barnabas stands up for Paul in the middle of all of the disciples, the most powerful men in the, in the, in the, the church at the time. Barnabas stands up and puts it all at risk. He's this audacious man, just steps out and says, I risk it all. I risk it all. Are we going to be that type of people for the leader that God brings? Paul takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is, listen, his whole point of persecuting, persecuting the followers of the way is because they had set Jesus up as God. Because, well, what we believe is that Jesus is God, and I believe that. But Paul didn't believe that. He didn't believe that that's who Jesus was. And so he had this zeal to go. He was well trained. And he was like, no, Israel cannot go back to chasing after these other gods like we have in the history. Because we end up in Babylon when that happens. And then he realizes that Jesus is God. And you think he doesn't know the ramifications of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, the story of Jesus? To the... He knows. He knows right at the beginning the first words he gets from God is you're going to suffer. He gets it, and he's willing to step out and do it. And he goes in Damascus, and he, the, I mean, like, you imagine the first time you step out in faithfulness that you have to be lowered out of a basket out of a city because people are trying to kill you? Like, that's a, I mean, that's a quick dampering on your calling. It's like, vision, vision. I don't know about the vision you gave me, God. Like, that's brutal. But Paul steps out and goes. It's audacious expression of what God has put in us. That's a posture. It's, a po- it's not just a posture that sits here. It's like, huh, you in this position so that you can move. And what we see is that Paul does move. Ananias moves. Barnabas moves. God gives those who are postured to receive. He gives to those who are postured to receive. God gives to those who are postured to receive. God is always pouring out blessing. He's always pouring out blessing. And who he's searching for is those who are posturing themselves, ready to receive it and then move it through themselves back out to the world. Genesis chapter 2, 12, verse 2. I'm gonna, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. I'm going to bless you so that you bless the nations. This is God's plan from the beginning. And then the last thing is celebrate. So, Pour energy and positivity into the vision. Posture yourself ready to receive. Pray, plan, live audaciously, and then celebrate when God shows up. If you plan and pray and live audaciously, expecting God, celebrate when God shows up. Celebrate. And celebrate it 
in terms of a, that it, it actually aligns with the vision that God's given you. Acknowledge that. Wow, God, you gave us this vision of what this could be. We prayed expectantly. We planned expectantly. We stepped out audaciously in faith. And now, look, you were faithful to bring about this vision that we had and communicate the celebration that way. Look how God's working in our midst through the vision that he's given us. And celebrate that way. Celebrate that way. So, again, the vision is in chapter 9, verse 15. says that he's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then what you see in, in chapter 11, Peter's here, and he goes to this guy, and it's, not, it's no mistake that chapter 9 ends with Saul and his vision to go to, the, go to the Gentiles, and then the very next chapter is Peter going to Cornelius, who is the first Gentile. And then chapter 11 is Peter coming back to Jerusalem to explain to them that now the gospel has went to the Gentiles, and at the end of chapter 11, it's this beautiful picture of celebration, a celebration, chapter 11, verse 18. And so Peter's speaking, and it says, When they heard they, these things about Cornelius and how the gospel had come and the Spirit had indwelled the Gentiles, it says they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They celebrate, man, what God's doing and how it aligns with the vision that God had put in. This is Luke speaking and writing about all this. and He's, he's very intentional about his progression through here, and he's saying even Peter and the, and the disciples are now rejoicing in the vision that was given to Paul. And then after this, we see Paul, the manifestation of Paul going to the ends of the earth. Ultimately, it ends with him going to kings. Just like in chapter 9, verse 15, it says, you'll go to kings, you'll go to the children of Israel, and you'll go to the Gentiles. And so every, every city Paul goes to, he goes into the synagogue and speaks to the Jews first. All right? And then he, speaks to, then he leaves there because they reject it, and he speaks to the Gentiles. And at the end of his life, he goes before king after king after king all the way, and then he ends up in, in Rome, ends of the earth. It's a manifestation of this. And so they, they celebrate. So what does it look like to embody the vision? Energy and positivity into the vision. Posture yourself, be ready expectation and then celebrate what God does in a world full of critics being Ananias and Barnabas in a world full of critics being Ananias and Barnabas let the vision become part of you embody it let it sink in pray pray about it plan and when you begin to do that it'll sink in and Andy Stanley has a great quote he says that vision doesn't you, you don't cast vision it leaks it leaks and when you embody the vision everywhere you go the vision leaks out of you and it inspires others so church if you want to walk into the vision and the future that God has for this place faith not Baptist Bible fellowship you're going to have to embody the vision. You're going to have to embody the vision. Just pour energy and positivity into your leader and the vision that he has when he gets here. Posture yourselves ready with expectation of what God's going to do and then celebrate when God shows up. And God will take you to a new, a new future. He'll take you to the vision that he has for this place. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, and we acknowledge that all of this is made possible because of Jesus. This is the story of, 
of, of Jesus working through the apostles and, and, and the disciples and even this, this, guy, named, this guy named Saul who, who comes and realizes who you are. And as he embraces that, he embraces the vision and plan you have for his life. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who, who they've not come into contact, if they've not had that Damascus Road moment where they look and hear the voice and, and see Jesus for all he is and all he's worth and the vision that he has for their life, Lord, I pray that, as the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. That they'll humble themselves before the Lord. And God, I pray for this church as, as they move forward with their new pastor. I pray that there'll be a people who pour energy and positivity into the vision, into the pastor that you've brought and called to this place. And I pray that they will all position themselves in a posture ready to receive and then pour out through you. And God, I know when you show up, God, that I, I pray that they'll celebrate because you will show up if they do those things. You will. You want to work through your people. So I pray that you work through Faith Bible Fellowship, Lord, in the days to come. And Lord, you bring about your vision in this place so that we can all celebrate with them no matter what church we're a part of. We are part of the kingdom ultimately. And this is kingdom growth that we speak of. And we want to see people come to know Jesus and walk in his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.